Amen, 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 amen. Woo! Pastor made me sound important. I like that. So I want you to notice something. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to be relaxed. I want everybody to sit down and be relaxed. This is a topic that is very uncomfortable. This is a topic that people rarely relax on. This is a topic that, to be really honest, we tend to run from, especially Christians. And I don't want us to do that. First, I want to give honor and praise to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Next, I want to give honor and praise to my pastors. Pastor Joel and Patricia Gregory, let me tell you something. So, this is my church. I have been with Linked Up Church from day number one. In fact, before it was Linked Up, when it was JEG Ministries, I have been with this church. I sat on the front row during the first uh, exploratory meeting, and I said, Right there, that's my pastor. Right there, that's who I'm following. This is my church. By the way, I knew him before he was Pastor Gregory. I remember when he was Minister Gregory. I remember when he was the youth pastor at, at, at Word of Faith. And by the way, I got stories. Now I'm lying, I ain't got no stories. So as Pastor said, it's Father's Day. And something that I want fathers to always know is that you are loved, you are respected, you are needed, you are vital. Whether you are in the position of father over your own kids in your own house or whether you're not living with your kids or not. Whether you are a stepfather who is loving for kids, you are vital. Whether you are someone who's just taking up the mantle of father to protect somebody else's kids because they didn't have a father, you are needed, and thank you for what you do. I want to honor on this day also my father. And before I go forward, let me also honor my wife. Woo! I married up, and I know it. I'm a blessed man, and I know it. Diana Jo Vivian, I love you. I want to honor my father right now. My father's 95 years old. My father is my hero, and I want to show a video clip about my father, and I'm explaining why I'm using this clip to honor my father. Please show the video clip. You can't keep anyone in the United States from voting without hurting the rights of all other citizens. Democracy's built on this. This is why every man has the right to vote, regardless. Is what I'm saying true? Yeah. Is it what you think and what you believe? Yeah. Move back. arrest us. We're willing to be beaten for democracy. You beat people bloody in order that they will not have 
have the privilege to vote. I use that clip because it's Father's Day because I want to honor my father. I also use that clip because it's a perfect example of what my message is about. Grace over race. There is, uh, that confrontation took quite a bit of time. It wasn't as quick as that video clip shows you. It, it took some time and there's a portion that's not in that video clip that's the most important to me of everything in that video clip. And when I first saw the video clip, I was nine years old. And this part I'm about to mention did not register for me at all. I did not even notice it. In fact, at nine years old, I was like, you know, going, leaving, watching that, going to school and hearing kids picking me. Your dad got hit on TV. Yeah, they were joking about it. And I got to tell you, because it was in a movie, Montgomery to Memphis, which came out in 1970. And that's when I first saw it. There's a portion where dad says to Sheriff Clark, he says, you're not as evil a man as you act. You know in your heart what is right. He was reaching out to him in love. He was saying that in spite of what you're doing, I know that you know better. I know you're a good man deep down inside. He chose to see him not through the eyes of man, but through the eyes of God. Quite often this topic comes up and we don't see each other through the eyes of God. We see each other through the eyes of man. Sometimes we choose race over grace. But what we have to do is choose grace over race. Amen. When we became Christians, we gave up the freedom to see that from the eyes of race over grace. But instead we have to see it from the eyes of grace over race. And let me tell you what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. In other words, favor you didn't earn. Something that was just given to you as God so freely gave to us. Mm. You know, Scripture tells us, and I want to go to this Scripture Oh, by the way, let me say this before I really get going. As pastor said that I'm not a minister by trade. I'm not part of the five-fold ministry. That's not what I do. But this is my wheelhouse. I love the church. And this topic is what I was raised to do and know. I had the blessed opportunity to grow up in a household where I got to meet Martin Luther King Jr., Andy Young, Julian Bond, Dorothy Cotton, and so many others who decided to choose grace over race. I got to see the living example. Mm. As said before, I, 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 I teach diversity and inclusion, primarily race relations, what we're best known for, but we do the full spectrum. My mission today is to show you and give you reasons, according to the word of God, why you should always choose grace over race. Scripture I want to use as the foundational scripture for this is John 15, 12. 
John 15, 12 says, I'm assuming it's coming up on the screen. It might be right behind me. There we go. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Mm. Now, if you are looking at a traditional Bible, you will see that it's in red letters. In other words, that was Jesus speaking. Not an underling, Jesus. He said, this is my commandment. He did not say, this is my suggestion. He did not say, this is an executive order. He did not say, I recommend you do this. He said, I command you. I also want to point out that he's not talking to the unsaved. He's talking to Christians. In fact, in this position, in this situation, he's talking to his disciples. I command you to love one another as I have loved you. Mm. In other words, as the body of Christ, we're supposed to love each other to the point we're willing to die for each other because Christ got up on a cross, cross and died for me. I love y'all, but not that much. I am not getting up on a cross for nobody. Maybe my wife. Maybe. I would die for her. I don't know if I'm getting up on a cross for her, though. Now, if we're supposed to love each other that much, if we're supposed to love each other enough to where we get up on a cross and die for each other, then shouldn't we not at least learn to listen to each other? Should we not at least learn to talk to each other? Should we not at least learn to see the world from each other's perspective? Should we not learn to empathize with one another? Mm. Every time there's a high-profile race-related situation, my close friends, in particular my white friends, will call me and ask my opinion. I remember back during the uh, Trayvon Martin, Zimmerman trial, one of my close friends, brother in Christ, close friend, love him. He loves the Lord. He called and asked my opinion. And by the way, some of the times when people are calling me, they're not really seeking solutions. Sometimes they're seeking validation. And they'll ask my opinion, I start giving my opinion, and they flip it on me. They say, well, maybe, Al, you're looking at this the wrong way. Maybe, Al, you're just too sensitive. <laughs> well, my buddy called me, and he wanted to talk about that situation. And he, he listened. Good brother. He listened. But in his frustrations in that conversation, kind of blurted out at one point, he says, you know, why do black people hate America? And now I could have chosen race over grace, and I didn't. I chose grace over race. I said, you know, I said, black people don't hate America. In fact, just the opposite. In fact, we are patriots. I said, you know, the first person to die for this country was a black man. Crispus Attucks. Check your history books. Took the first bullet in the Revolutionary War fighting for rights and freedoms and privileges he knew he would never get. We have fought and died out of our percentage of the population in every war this country has ever had. In fact, we, African Americans and Latinos, 
we serve in the military at rates higher than our percentage of the population in society. That is a statement that cannot be said for whites. And I said to him, I said, I have a question, a question for you. I said, oh, by the way, I said, you know, we don't hate America. I said, in fact, we love it. But sometimes, sometimes we're frustrated and disappointed that America doesn't always live up to what it espouses as it relates to race. But we love America. I'm a former army captain. I am Mr. Patriotic. I'm that guy that I could be driving down the street and look up and see a flag and I'll, I will salute it without even thinking about it. That's me. That's who I am. I'm just keeping it real. But I said to my friend, let me ask you a question. I said, have you ever looked at American history from the perspective of someone who's not white? And he kind of tilted his head, you know, dog in the headlight look. And he says, no, I've never done that. I said, well, if you were to do that, what would you see? <laughs> and he was honest, and he stayed with me through the conversation. He, too, chose grace over race. And he says, wow. And we talked it through, and it was a rather lengthy conversation, but in short, to sum it up, it kind of went like this. He says, you know, if we look at American history from the eyes of somebody that's not white, we would see that here we have a country we got by stealing it from red folk. We built it up by enslaving black folk. We further built it up by all but slave labor off of brown folk and yellow folk. And then we had centuries more of unequal housing, unequal pay, unequal distribution of wealth, you name it. Now, as I was asking him to see the world through my perspective, I also had to see the world through his perspective. So I couldn't get angry at him. I could not expect him to see things that I see because our worlds are different. What I talked about to him is not the way he was taught about history in the textbooks in school. So I can't expect him to see that. <laughs> but I could expect that as my brother in Christ, that he would listen. And he did. That's what we need to do with each other. Talk, listen, understand each other. Now there are four key points I want to make in this talk in this conversation. Point number one, racism is not only wrong, it is stupid. Why? Because biologically, race does not exist. Biologically, there's no such thing as race. Not only that, God doesn't see us that way. So neither should we. Scripture, Galatians 3, 28 says there is neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus God doesn't see us through the prism of race he's not a respecter of person he's a discerner of the heart Amen. he created all of us no matter what color we are in the image and likeness of him That's 
And I know he's a good God. So that's the way he sees me. That's the way I'm supposed to see everybody else, especially my brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm. That piece I said about biologically it doesn't exist, I'm, I'm, I'm about to quote myself in an article, and it was research, so I'm not just making this up. Quoting myself in an article I did for uh, CNN back during the Trayvon Martin Zimmerman trial. This was in 2012. And in my quote, I said, and I'm reading my own quote, in 2003, the mapping of the human genome code proved that there are no significant genetic differences between what we call races. Every human being on the planet is 99.9% genetically identical to every other human being that there is. But we see societies through constructs. We live in constructs. By the way, that piece about 99.9% uh, uh, identical, we are actually, as human beings, 10 times more similar than fruit flies are to each other. I can't tell one fruit fly from another. Can you? We're 10 times more similar than that. Mm. So race does not genetically exist. It's, in fact, let me be real clear on that genetic piece. If I were to do uh, 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 the, the cotton swab thing and send it in, by the way, I have done the, the, my genetic trace. If you hadn't done that, you need to do that. Ooh, you're going to find out you got some everybody in you. I do, and I love that. That's the way God in intended it to be. But if you did that, if I did the human genome, if I did the, you know, check in my, my, my cotton swab and send it out and get tested, and let's say a, 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 a white male like, like Bill, my brother back there working the, the, the media, and if, 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 if he did that and we sent it off, and then let's say me and, me and Pastor did it and we sent it off, do you know that chances are it will come back and find that me and Bill, the white male, are more similar genetically than me and Pastor Gregory are, the other white, the other black male because there's more variation within a race than there is across races. Because most people tend to marry and have sex within their own race, so there's more variation within that than there is across it. So we're more genetically similar. In other words, we shouldn't be fighting over something that doesn't genetically exist. If we are an advanced, civilized nation, so what does that mean? That means that we as a nation, we went to war against ourselves, the Civil War over something that genetically does not even exist. It means that we have passed laws and legislation over something that genetically does not exist. Come on now. Yeah. And it, we're supposed to be an advanced civilization. <laughs> you would think that when the human genome code was cracked, that would have been put out through every media wave you can imagine, that we are so much alike, more alike than different, 99.9% .9 identical, but yet that wasn't put out there. Because society chose race over grace. We have to choose grace over race. You know, for those who fear the random black male in a hoodie, walking down the street and you get nervous and scared about that, I can empathize with you. But I can't really statistically understand it. And, and here's why. If you were to go to the U.S. Census Bureau website, and I hope that you do that, 
and you look up the top 10 causes of death by race, because they have charts that show you this. Top 10 causes of death by race for whites, homicide is not on the list. But what is on the list? Suicide. You are more likely to kill yourself than to be killed by anybody of any and every race combined out there. But you tend to walk around in fear of us. Point number two. And I'm watching that clock. That clock is of Satan. (laughs) Point number two. Social justice is the will of God. So many people think that it's not. So many people don't want to hear a message talking about race from the pulpit. We're better for it to be. In fact, let's be real clear on that. During slavery, we couldn't depend on the church to be there. Only the Quakers, if you talk about churches, faiths, religions, they were the only ones we could count on. Sad thing is that to a certain degree that didn't change a whole lot. God tells us to seek justice everywhere. Isaiah 1, 17, and I quote, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. That's social justice. So let me give you a a, a textbook definition of social justice. The Oxford English Dictionary defines social justice as justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. It vaguely defines justice as the quality of being fair and reasonable. Social justice. Mm. So examples of how we as Christians, we exercise social justice all the time. But yet I hear Christians say social justice is, is against the will of God. Examples? Because, by the way, social justice is pretty much just advocating for the issues of those who are underprivileged, underserved, and mistreated. Social justice is advocating for the vulnerable. That's what we as Christians do. <laughs> when we advocate for Issues related to abortion. That's social justice. Mm. When we advocate for prayer in schools, that's social justice. When we advocate on issues dealing with sex trafficking, that too is social justice. And, and not only do we advocate for these things, we, 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 we partner with other organizations to make sure we do it well. We partner with trade associations, with civic groups, with philanthropic and, uh, and charitable organizations. We seek social justice all the time. That's what we do. It's in our DNA. And those are modern-day examples. Let me give you some biblical scripture ones. And in both of the examples I'm going to give, I'm going to talk specifically about Jesus. So if you were to look in the Bible, and I'm not going to have you go to this chapter, these, this, these verses right now, but, but John, 8, 30, uh, John 8, 3 through 11, uh, 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 Jesus speaking up on behalf of the adulterous woman. She was about to be stoned in the streets, socially. Jesus 
advocated on her behalf. He said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. How dare you judge her, but you won't judge yourself. He wanted fair, equitable, equal justice. He advocated on her behalf. Mm. They all dropped their stones. Another example, Jesus, my social justice superhero. Jesus advocating for social justice. The Good Samaritan. Hmm? There's a man on the street, been beaten, been robbed, lying there, left for dead. The priest walked past him, did nothing. Kept going. Church wasn't there for him. The Levite crossed the street. Did nothing to help him. By the way, if you look up the definition in a, in a, from a biblical standpoint, Samaritan defined. One excommunicated by the Jews. A byword among them. Synonymous with heretic and devil. So here's a man that Jews were taught to look down upon. He's the guy that came to the defense of the Jew who was beaten, lying on the street. Now he could have said, why should I help him? He would have nothing to do with me. Why should I have anything to do with him? But he chose grace over race. Mm. Mm. So since I'm talking about social justice, a myth I want to destroy, another myth about, you know, one social justice is against God, another myth I want to destroy, and, 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 and if I step on anybody's toes out there, it's because I love you. He said, God will heal him, I love it. <laughs> Preach, pastor, I love it. Black lives matter versus all lives matter. Ooh, hold on to your seats. Stay there with me. Out there in the audience, listening. I'm talking about the TV audience, the YouTube videos that's watching this. All lives matter is a retort to the statement black lives matter. In fact, all lives matter didn't even become a thing until after black lives matter was already out there and popular. If we get real about that. In addition, all lives matter essentially is a lie because until black lives matter, it's impossible to say all lives matter. And, and, and isn't it sad that tens of thousands of people are standing in the streets saying, don't our lives even matter? They're not saying our lives are superior to yours. They're not saying white lives don't matter. They're saying, don't our lives even matter? Can you watch us be killed in the streets and to defend those who did it to us and not speak up on our behalf? Mm. Now, you know, I know quite often when, you know, that term comes up, Black Lives Matter, one of the retorts is, but what about black-on-black crime? What about black-on-black crime? What do the two have to do with one another? They're unrelated. 
It's a red herring. It's a deception. It's a distraction. It's trying to get you off of the topic of police brutality. And by the way, law enforcement officers are doing an awesome job, the vast majority. And just as I don't want people to hold me or protesters accountable for what looters and rioters do, we should not hold all police officers accountable for what some are doing. We got to choose grace over race. You know, I was a, there was an article that I, that I read recently, uh, and I always give credit when I use somebody else's stuff. Uh, a gentleman named Troy Smith, Cleveland.com, he writes, when someone commits an act of terrorism against the United States, no one asks, well, what about how many Americans kill other Americans each year? That would be crazy, wouldn't it? By the way, over 80% of all crime is same-race crime. So yes, black-on-black crime is a real thing, but it has nothing to do with police brutality. The vast majority of crime in America, because we still live in very segregated communities, and people tend to commit crime right where they are, the vast majority of crime in America is same-race crime. White-on-white, black-on-black, brown-on-brown, red-on-red, yellow-on-yellow. But you almost never, you, not almost, you never hear the term white-on-white crime. Dun-dun-dun. It never gets mentioned. It's just called crime. We have to choose race. Excuse me, grace over race. I was afraid I was going to make that mistake. Glad I caught myself. Thank you, Lord. We have to always choose grace over race. Point number three I want to cover. Stop defending. Start attacking with grace. Here's what I mean by that. I ain't talking about go attack people. I'm talking about use all the weapons that God has given you. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use, uh, uh, by the way, you, you can't score when you're defending. <laughs> you got to take the, 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 the affirmative. You got to attack. You got to go forward. Now, I'm going to use the, yeah, the offense. Thank you. The, the, the pastor who's an who's a athlete. I love that. Thank you, sir. I'm going to use the message Bible, Bible version of this because it's like plain. Pretty much talking about a fight to the finish. It says, and that about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you well-made weapons of the best materials and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is not an afternoon athletic contest that you'll walk away from and forget about a couple of hours later. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. That also means connect with your brothers and sisters of Christ across every racial hue to help you. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but for the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them. Throughout your life, 
God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way prayer is essential in the ongoing warfare, pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Mm. Other words, we need each other across all of our racial differences. We have to choose grace over race. My final main point. When you choose grace over race, you cannot lose. Even when you think you lost that battle, you didn't. Mm. Romans 8, 31 and 32 and verses 35 through 37. Verse 31 and 32. What shall we then say to those to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for all of us. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? To include grace. Verses 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Mm, grace over race. Examples. Examples of how grace over race always wins and has won throughout American history. I'm going to give you two examples. The Civil War. South versus North. South was fighting to keep people enslaved. And for those who have taken the red herring that, no, it was all about states' rights. That's not incorrect, it's incomplete. States' rights to own slaves. The, what they call peculiar institution. If you think I'm wrong on that, please do the research, do a Google search and look up the Constitution of the Confederacy. And it said clearly right there that their mission was to ensure they could continue to maintain slaves. That's demonic. That is not of God. The North was fighting to end that slavery. Mm. God was on their side, and they won. So how was grace applied in that? The treason is South, and yes, I do say treason because by definition, they tried to overthrow the U.S. government. By the, God, by the way, if you think I'm making that up, uh, right now with all we're going through, there's talk about renaming military installations named after Confederate generals. And these are like premier units. Fort Bragg, Fort Benning. Those are Confederate leaders. And General Petraeus, retired four-star. The man, General Petraeus said, it's kind of ironic that we named those installations after traitors in the first place. So that's not me saying that. But how was grace applied? 
even after they lost, they were allowed to keep their land. They were allowed to keep their weapons. They were even allowed to keep their freedom. They were not locked up. Treasonous act. Grace was applied. Second example, civil rights movement. Blacks were lynched, beaten, denied their rights, but consistently showed unmerited favor to America. Grace above race. And think about this. Martin Luther King Jr.'s small team of black ministers, mm, without firing a single weapon, defeated the most powerful nation in the history of the world. They chose grace over race. As a result, they won. Because God's power was not just with them, God's power was upon them. Because they chose grace over race. By the way, think about this. There's only one minister, one preacher, that has a monument on the mall in Washington. And that is Martin Luther King Jr. Because he chose grace over race. So in closing, we are all at a time of significance in our history right now. All of us at one point or another, we tend to see ourselves not as what we are, but as what we want to be seen as. And a very pivotal time is right now in our history. We as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, how long? How long do we look at someone, look at this as someone else's problem and say, this ain't our fight. We're not supposed to do social justice. How long do we make excuses for social injustices that go against God's people? How long do we allow social barriers where it's a us versus them situation how long do we allow those barriers to divide us, the body of Christ, we as Christians? Because at a moment like this, if we choose race over grace, we all lose. This is our fight. As Christians, this is our fight. And God is watching. For those out there who may not be saved, who you may say, that doesn't apply to me because, hey, I'm not one of them Christians. But understand, Jesus Christ is the only way we can fix this problem, but only if we run at it and not from it. And for those who don't know him, my pastor, my brother in Christ is about to come up and lead you to him. If you are willing to receive. Amen. Praise God. Thank you.